Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Don't put too much stress on your first kiss. It'll happen. But like it gets it gets better, more funnier and like <laughs> Yeah. And it only gets it only gets magical if you're actually in love with the person, you know, like later yeah. on after you've yeah. kissed them a lot. But yeah, yeah. usually the first That's kiss. True. I prefer women, but I want a guy to force himself on me. I'm open to trans women doing the same, but I don't see too many of them wanting. Oh, some of them do do like work off the side because like some sure. of them are actually sex workers. So like yeah. there's never a shortage for someone to take take a nice 40 year old hairy man uh, aside and you know take him. <laughs> just, just really right. take him. <laughs> Uh, is one last kiss but she won't let me have it I want to get over her but I can't I need help hey this is Morgan Rector join me and my co-host Rosanna Chilton for the Confession Post podcast confessionpost.com is a website where users post highly personal content anonymously for the reading pleasure of other users on this podcast Rosanna and I read confessions from the site and give our analysis. You can listen to the Confession Post podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hello, everyone. I am Rachel Telfor. And I'm Michelle Gower. We are the hosts of a new true crime podcast. It is called Children of the Void. The Void refers to children who are missing. And children who have died under mysterious and suspicious circumstances. Sometimes parents know nothing about what has happened to their child. And sometimes they seem to know more than they let on. Like Casey Anthony. And the John Benet Ramsey case. We are determined to do our part to find missing children. And the truth when the story of their disappearance doesn't hold up. Together, we will blast the shadows with light so that no more children disappear into the void. Children of the Void debuts in September. Join us so we can all make a difference. Please subscribe. Until then, I'm Rachel Telfor. And I'm Michelle Gower. You can catch Children of the Void on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Hey, Morgan Rector here. I'm just dropping a line to say thank you to all of my Patreon donors. Since I'm not a Joe Rogan or Mark Marin. Podcasting is more or less a starving artist gig for guys like me. Patreon donations keep me from having to take a job 
that would take away from my ability to generate more Human Monsters content. The website URL for Patreon is www.patreon, that's spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash leader O-N-E, leader one. A way to make a one-time donation is to send it through PayPal at morganrector331, rector spelled R-E-C-T-O-R, at hotmail.com, morganrector331 at hotmail.com. You don't have to give a large amount of money if it isn't possible. If a dollar a month or a dollar one time is the best you can pony up, it would be gratefully accepted. I know how hard things are for everybody during COVID. Thank you for all the support you have given the show, whether it is through financial donations or simply by listening. I am grateful for all you have given to me and the program. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the True Crime News. I'm Morgan Rector. I'm Rachel Talfor still. So how'd you like the, the Gary Heidnick case? Was that <laughs> fucked up enough for you? Okay. You need to stop outdoing yourself. Honestly. Because I don't think we can get the bar any lower. Yeah, it, that's bad. It's just... Uh, oof. Well, it was very similar to the Ariel Castro case, except he didn't have them down there as long. I mean, the fact the fact Ariel Castro had those girls in there for like what ten years, I think it was, that was fucked up. But um, it was similar. Well, and then the, with well. the guy, the other guy that you did, what's the one from um, I, not Ireland? What I always forget his name. Patrick. The one who, well, he Irish had his daughter there. down there for like twenty six years or twenty two well, years or some shit. Oh yeah. Joseph Fritzl, the Austrian. There guy. you go, Fritzl. Yeah. Thank you. That was that's fucked up too. I mean, that was his own daughter, so that's pretty brutal. Well, so after I listened to your, and then I, after I listened to your past episodes, I went and watched the. Uh, there is a movie based on that story. Um. Well, there's one called Room, which was inspired by it, but it's not that story. But they, it was, yeah, they. Inst- that inspired the idea for it. But was there also a movie that was about the case? I'm wondering if that's when I watched. I, well, it was it was inspired by it. It wasn't a documentary. So maybe that was the one I watched. But it was like. Well, there was a feature where it was just like a mother and her little son trapped in a room for a long time. Oh, no. This one. OK, so this one is more. By the storyline. Oh, OK. So it was. Um, uh, the last one you did. What was it? Um, it was the one who had. His daughter, she had the two kids. Well, three technically, one died. Um, Seven kids in total, yeah, and one died. Yeah, yeah, and then, well, the but the one before that you did, and then they eventually got out because, and then the mother didn't know the whole time, and she was in the, they were in the basement. Yeah, yeah. 
my God, that's crazy. He had to take them for medical treatment because yes. the kids yep. in question, they never – they were never exposed to sunlight. They were just sick. You know, if you live like that, you're not going to be healthy. You yeah, know, they were and, underweight. They were just, oh, not, yeah. they looked like they were way younger than they were. But yeah, they, he eventually gave in to taking them for medical treatment. And um, she got away and told somebody in the hospital. And that's how they found her. Um, Just fucking, I cannot fathom these stories that you tell. And you and brilliant, brilliant storytelling, by the way. Very clap for right for Morgan, everyone. Yay. And I'm um, not I'm not criticizing this sword and scale guy, but I think I is it a good thing that I'm not as emotional as he is? Because apparently he's got like a grudge against all kinds of people and he's a constant uh, expressing he anger. Does. He he well he I love that he's unapologetically himself. Yeah. I ident- I identify with that. He doesn't give yeah. a fuck. Like the other day. Like somebody bitched about him playing dubstep at the beginning of his episodes. So he's like, oh, and for the guy who plays, who complains every single week about me playing dubstep, and he played the dirtiest dubstep in the world. I was like, fuck yeah. I'm like, that's, who cares? You know, you, know? you know what? The person who does 100% of the work gets to make 100% of the decisions. Yeah, exactly. He, he got off his ass to create the show. He still works on it. I don't know anything about his life. I don't know if that's his number one position it is. It his is job really, yeah. okay so yeah it's been uh, like two it's 200 episodes yeah so you know that's it's his show he gets to make these decisions and it's not like he plays that music for an hour you know no. i actually like it and i'm not even a big dubstep fan but it kind of gets me pumped up you know to get into it but um yeah you like i said you and him are both i mean i have other favorite i have my like girl talk podcasts true crime podcasts mm-hmm. that i love and some true crime all the time yeah but yeah. i like the seriousness um i love your you have a special way of telling a story that oh, it's just not like anybody else it, it is it is enthralling and that um level of uh, you know calmness that you have and lack of emotion is kind of it not kind of it is the fucking thing that's awesome about it because it's so serious yeah and you're listening to every detail you know yeah i wonder what it would be like if it was like some really loud guy or vincent price imagine him doing, <laughs> <laughs> doing that laugh and everything that would be interesting that you know it'd be right. really, you know it'd be cool if they came up with a like an ai software where you could take a celebrity's voice and use put any text in there his voice doing this podcast would be something you know just even just to do one episode that would be almost better than yours but not quite although i need that software because apparently my voice is very fucking annoying from people in the comments and i'm like how again how do you want me to change my voice people you guys find something else to complain about i've heard i've heard annoying voices like like uh chris tucker that's an annoying voice Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's I finally saw the fifth element yesterday and that ruined the movie for me. I, really? I don't, his, his character was totally unnecessary. I don't understand why they thought it had to be there. Oh my it, God. It, it's so cult classic though. Well, I mean, most it's other so aspects so of the movie classic. were good. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. that was a near sore for me. So I feel you. All right. So, uh, <clears throat> we're going from that, uh, 
ear sore to another. Uh, Colorado father convicted of killing his 13-year-old son. And uh, so Mark Redwine, 59, was indicted in 2017 in connection with the disappearance of Dylan Redwine, who was reported missing on November 19, 2012 while on a court-ordered Thanksgiving visit to his father's home outside the city of Durango. Uh, Redwine did not show any reaction when the verdicts were read as he stood with his hands clasped in front of him. Dylan Redwine's remains were found a few miles from his father's home in 2013, and hikers found his skull in 2015. Uh, prosecutors argue that Redwine killed Dylan in a fit of rage after they argued over embarrassing photos of Redwine, get this, wearing women's lingerie and eating feces from a diaper. Uh, what? Feel, not chocolate, feces oh, from a God. diaper. Dylan's older brother testified that Dylan discovered the photos before he went missing. Redwine, who didn't testify at tri- a trial, told investigators he left Dylan alone at home to run errands and returned to find him missing. Defense attorneys suggested the photos have no connection to Dylan Redwine's death and that the boy ran away and may have been killed by a wild animal. Well, I don't think a lot, the animal would decapitate him, but anyway. Yeah, probably. No, yeah, no. <laughs> the case drew national attention when Redwine and the boy's mother, Elaine Hall, leveled accusations at each other during appearances on the syndicated Dr. Phil television show in 2013. Judge Dr. Jeff- Phil getting all those at interviews, man, I tell you what. Oh, he's big on true crime. Yeah, right. Judge Jeffrey Wilson said this has been an extremely difficult case for everybody involved. It's been difficult for the parties, for the attorneys, for their staff. It's been difficult for the families, the entire community. Jurors delivered their verdict after less than a day of deliberations. Mm -hmm. Hall testified at trial that she sent Dylan to his father's house on November 18th, 2012, learned he was missing the next day and immediately drove six hours to southwestern Colorado's La Plata County to search for her son. Hall said she had no knowledge of her son confronting his father about the photos. Hall almost immediately suspected her ex-husband wasn't telling the full truth about their son's disappearance. Text messages introduced as evidence suggested. Two hours after learning Dylan was missing, Hall texted Mark Redwine. Uh, She wrote, he wouldn't just leave. He would have called me. I am so suspicious of you right now. How could he just dis? Excuse me. How could he just disappear? Public defender Justin Bogan suggested that her account was tainted by a contentious divorce and custody battle with red wine. Bogan also suggested that Hull's appearance on national TV turned public opinion against her ex-husband and influenced the direction of the police investigation. Hall insisted she spoke with media and attended a protest at Mark Redwine's house in an effort to bring Dylan home. She said, I figured he was safe because he was with his dad, and I was devastated that no one knew where my son was. Throughout the trial, prosecutors doubled down on the compromising photos of Redwine, arguing the father-son relationship was in decline long before Dylan's disappearance. Prosecutors also focused on comments Dylan made to family and friends about dreading the court-ordered visit. Public mm, defender John Moran, yeah, public defender John Moran said during his opening statements that Dylan ran away from home and suggested he could have been attacked by a bear or a mountain lion. 
He referred to an injury on Dylan's skull as a tooth mark. A forensic anthropologist, Diane France, testified that Dylan suffered a fracture above his left eye. Two marks on the boy's skull were likely caused by a knife or sharp tool at or near the time of death. Meanwhile, Redwine's defense said in closing arguments that expert testimony had showed Dylan's skull was still in a peri-mortem state in 2015. He said that means it retained elasticity and wetness, making it susceptible to environmental factors like animal scavenging for three years before it was discovered. Bogan called the investigation biased and sloppy because of evidence destruction by an expert who broke off a piece of Dylan's skull during what? the examination and a science who revealed in co- scientist who revealed in court that the prosecution gave police reports to them before their testimony. Well, that's just what, protocol. What, what? Fucking what? Yeah, I know. Just, oh, I'm sorry. Did you did you just say that he broke he broke off a piece of his fucking skull? <clears throat> well, yeah, that being the natural thing to do, I guess. I oh mean, my god. Defense attorneys are either saying something stupid or something <sighs> evil, but uh, it, yeah, they, they. I'm always coming across a defense attorney who sinks to an all-time low. Right. Uh, Fred Johnson, special deputy district attorney, told jurors that investigators found traces of Dylan's blood in Redwine's living room and that a cadaver sniffing dog alerted them to the smell of human remains in the back of Redwine's truck and on his clothing. But Moran said the the infinitely small amount of blood found in the living room is likely to be found in anyone's house. He also referred to the use of the dog as junk science. Bullshit. Redwine was arrested in Bellingham, Washington, following a grand jury indictment in 2017. At the time, prosecutors said compromising photographs were a point of contention between Redwine and Dylan. They didn't elaborate. You know, I used to think that I could never be a lawyer, but this lawyer makes me think that I probably could be. We could be lawyers, right? Well, I mean, I know. Here we come. Well, I mean, I know that uh, it doesn't take much blood at all to trace it to a victim it could be a fraction of a droplet it could be any amount and uh and of course they're gonna they're not gonna ham like a hammer a whole skull into pieces and i think it would be difficult to analyze it if they you know put it under a microscope in in whole because you really need to look at a portion of it and they probably just cut a very tiny piece Right. But you you can't just you can't just put a whole skull under a microscope. I mean, no, dude. Well, I mean that's true. You make a good point. They're they're pretty small. I mean, I use them in high school science class, and there's no way you could do that. So. And I use them in the laboratory, and they are not big. So. Oh, not at all. So. Wow. Yeah, and another thing is, uh, if you've got a weird fetish and you like to photograph yourself engaging <laughs> in that fetish. That's, that's that's always a mistake. Uh, just don't. Sex, just don't. Sex tapes are a bad idea. Um, or taking photos of yourself cross dressing like BGK did. That's a bad idea. You got to keep it all secret. Pornography is a horrendous idea. Just don't. Yeah. Do that ever. Because even if you have no, even if you have no remorse and you only care about getting caught, well, don't yeah. document it with photography. Right. God bless. Pretty, pretty dumb help us please i had a baby fetish i mean 
I don't know. <laughs> Morgan, please don't come out on the podcast right now until you have a baby fetish, because I can't handle it. Not after the last two cases. Well, I mean, done. well, it sounds more like no. That I mean, that kind of baby fetish is where you actually like pretend to be a baby and. Oh, you, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. So I you, went way. See, I'm on true crime news, so I went way too yeah. dark with that. So the fact that he he was gonna photograph himself as a baby. I don't know if that meant he was going to use it to sexually hmm. arouse himself, but that is the height of narcissism right there. You you want to masturbate to yourself? That's pretty gross. Cool. Uh, all right. So all right. Well, um, I will. Uh, I'll bring us up and and tell a story um, about where criminal justice is uh, righteous. I'm just fucking kidding. It's completely horrendous. Um. <laughs> Yeah. This really pissed me off, the story. So, a Pennsylvania man was just sentenced, got probation, and is on house arrest for the internal decapitation of his estranged wife in 2017. He cut her head off and he's... No, no. Oh, no. It's internal decapitation. Internal decapitation. Uh Uh-huh. All right, go on. Yeah. So <clears throat> earlier this month, 36-year-old Antonio Vecchiola, hang on, Vecchiola, thank you, Vecchiola pleaded guilty to a single count of involuntary manslaughter. Uh, a Pennsylvania man accused of murdering his wife in 2007, which was Antonio, will spend the next year under house arrest after recently accepting a plea deal. One, the victim's family says was entered into without their input or their approval. Earlier this month, Antonio pleaded guilty to a single count of involuntary manslaughter. He was arrested for criminal homicide in mid-2019 after killing his estranged wife, Jessica Vecchiola, and the 29-year-old mother of two young boys inside her Penn Hills home on February 5th, 2017. Jessica, uh, Jessica's body was left in the home and found the next day by her mother. Oh. Ugh. Uh, the couple authorities said at the time were in the middle of a divorce and fighting for custody of their children. Vecchiola avoids prison under the term of the deal, which was approved by Allegheny County Common Pleas Judge Kelly Bigley. Instead, he will be subject to electronic home monitoring for one year. Don't know who Judge Kelly Bigley is, but I'm going to go ahead and give a papo fuck you to that judge. Yes. Um, After that, he'll be placed on probation for five years. Medical examiners struggled to determine what caused Jessica Viacola's death, eventually revealing she died from... Okay, so this is the official... This is the... um, like a term for it. It's called Atlanto uh, Acapital Dislocation, which is also known as internal decapitation. I didn't know that existed. Yes. So it's defined as a separation of the ligaments of the spinal column from the base of the skull. So if you hit hit someone hard enough, it breaks those bones and then. Right. So you're, you're, you're technically decapitated, but your skin is not broken. Oh, okay. All right. 
<clears throat> so Jessica's sister, Felicia Lucat, spoke to the news source about the plea deal, calling it a gross miscarriage of, of justice. Lucat alleges the plea deal was offered to Antonio, Antonio Vicolia, and he agreed to the terms. Afterwards, the district attorney's office called Jessica Vicolia's family in for a meeting where they were told her killer would not serve prison time. The family expressed frustration with the outcome and were informed the deal could not be rescinded. The Allegheny County District Attorney's Office did not respond to the news source's request for comment. Mm. Well, you know, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if maybe they should create a law which would state that the victim's family, particularly the immediate family, should get to have some kind of input in the sentencing. Because, uh, I mean, to say that, well, they shouldn't because they're not lawyers, they're not judges. Well, the juries are never lawyers and judges either, right? They're Exactly. I wonder, so, and, and I wish there was somebody that could answer that. And if you're in the comments and you are, you're any in the in the law in legal, is there a law or is there anything legally that says that the family? I, I don't think there is, to be honest. But there's, you're right, there should be. But I'm wondering if there's any kind of like, you know, sometimes there's those sideways legal technicalities or whatever. There is there anything that they could use? Um, I don't think they can in this case because it said not, but I, I wonder. Yeah, victim impact statements are more of a courtesy than anything else. Um, right. Just to remind everybody of, of how a criminal's actions affect their the victim's loved ones. But it's not required. A judge doesn't have to do it. Um, but, I mean, part of the justice system when it comes to violent crime is – you are serving the victims, loved ones, you know? Right. Well, and also I think maybe if they had a suit against him for something, like even yeah. if they had a minor suit, um, like wrongful death, or I, I'm speaking out of my ass because I don't know legal shit, but then then maybe they would have had to been told. But since they have absolutely no interest in the case whatsoever, except for being the, the family of the victim – they don't have to tell them anything, but maybe if they had filed suit against him in some sort of way, I wonder if that would change. Well, I remember uh, with what the, they have to say or what they have the to o tell them. I remember with the O.J. Simpson case, uh, Nicole Brown Simpson's family sued him after the trial. Mm -hmm. So you could do that. You could like uh, create a new lawsuit. And I think I, I don't know if you can appeal that kind of verdict as the a victim's loved ones. I don't know if that's possible. It should be, you know, you should be able to say, you know what, uh, house arrest wasn't enough because he, he's sitting around his house watching TV and eating he his killed, He killed a woman by decapitating her internally. Yeah, he should I mean, that, not be sitting at home. And that that's a pretty severe injury because those bones are strong. You know? Yes, they are. A vertebra, like like if you want, if you took a hammer to a vertebra, you'd have to, I think you'd have to pound it for a while. Like it's hard. So whatever he did, uh, did it say how he attacked her again? Sorry. It did. It did not say at all. Oh. Um, although my vertebra in my neck would probably just shatter with with a pin drop at this point. Really? <laughs> my arthritis. Is it brittle? Is it, you got rickets? Dude, I have arthritis and it's been like the past two weeks. I had a nerve conduction study and I haven't been able to. I, I've I've severely taken for granted my hands i will tell you that because <laughs> uh -huh. not being able to use them is bad 
So what's different about arthritis, uh, a, a bone that's affected by arthritis? Does it uh, admit moisture? When no. I'm... So I have osteoarthritis as a degenerative uh, oh, my bone mother disease. That. Yeah, that's yeah. So the joints between your bones just um, deteriorates. Uh, so that's why kids, when you're young, you don't get into car accidents or fall out of the back of trucks while you're drunk onto your head. Okay. Well, you're welcome. My mother's bedridden partially because of that, so you might you should stay on top of it. Yeah. All right. So got, uh, my next story, I, just, I got I got two uh, vindictive uh, ex-lesbian girlfriend stories here. Oh. This is the okay. first one. So the headline of the first one is, woman shoots roommate dead for refusing to kiss her in front of the, his girlfriend, which is kind of a weird convoluted title so I'll explain yeah, okay uh an illinois man was shot dead in front of his girlfriend after refusing to kiss the <coughs> police say uh so or maybe i was wrong maybe it's not a lesbian thing uh claudia resides flores 28 had recently moved into the couple's home rolling meadows the chicago sun times reported on thursday all three were hanging out at the home drinking when Resendez Flores, a mother of three, asked 29-year-old James Jones to kiss her, he refused and turned to kiss his girlfriend instead, which, according to prosecutors, made her jealous. They said her demeanor changed, and she demanded once again he kiss her, and once again he refused. Uh, it was at this point she grabbed Jones's gun, which was tucked between the couch cushions, and pointed at him. Prosecutors. That's a good alleged. place to keep a gun. Yeah, really. Uh, with her finger on the trigger, Jones watched as she disengaged the safety, so he pushed the gun down. This is when investigators say she raised her arms back up and fired a single shot into his chest, killing him. The victim's girlfriend called 911. First responders found the handgun still in the living room beside Jones' dead body. Resendez Flores was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. Police say she confessed to the crime. A judge ordered she be held without bail before her first court appearance on Tuesday. According to her public defender, Resendez Flores is married but separated from her husband and is the sole caretaker of their three young children. He disputed the claim that she had moved in with a couple, claiming she lived at her family home in De Plain. Uh So I was wrong about the lesbian part, but that's weird. So she she was attracted to this guy and wanted him. <laughs> But he was loyal to his girlfriend. That that's <clears throat> yeah. That's some intense jealousy right there. The, how old does it say? How old they were? Uh, so the uh, assailant is a. Let me see. How old she? She's twenty eight. The victim's twenty nine. Uh, doesn't I don't think doesn't say how old that that his girlfriend was. All right. Well, in your late twenties, maybe you're still as a woman. Finding yourself. Wait till your 40s, girls. You'll get over that jealousy bullshit. Well, don't women tend to be more attracted to taken men? I'm not attracted to any men, so I don't know. <laughs> Sorry. Kidding, guys. Yeah. I'm just bitter. Or maybe she's just a jealous person in general. She's just jealousy is just not a fun thing to, to be. No, not at all. Like, I, I feel like you ha if you have to be jealous over someone there's definitely something lacking in you. You, you, you need to get to the root of why you're not confident with yourself. 
because yeah exactly if you're confident then you, there's no reason to be jealous of other people i guess also, i don't know and find a guy who's not taken so you can actually well, have, also that i mean there you go wow i mean usually guys rewarded for not cheating this this guy <laughs> killed for it no kidding Ra- wow. rachel and morgan here to give you um life advice yeah he died with honor he did. yeah yeah there you go all right morgan we're, we're doing well all right what's your next story um i have another story that pisses me off mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is a nasa employee who allegedly allegedly used a racial slur against a mixed race neighbor uh who was convicted of his murder mm. all right so yeah uh this is in virginia <clears throat> a Virginia jury convicted Michael Heddle, 52, of first-degree murder and the death of his 24-year-old neighbor, Javon Prather. The a former NASA employee and police officer who allegedly used a racial slur against his mixed-race neighbor was found guilty of the man's murder. Michael Heddle, 52, was accused of first-degree murder in March uh, 3rd of 2020 after fatally shooting 24-year-old Javon Prather who was standing on Heddle's Springfield, Virginia doorstep when the incident occurred. Listen carefully, folks. Tell me what you think. In a statement obtained by People, Fairfax County Commonwealth Attorney Steve Descano said Prather was, quote, executed by Heddle. Quote, evidence submitted during the trial revealed that racial uh, animus was a contributing factor in Mr. Heddle's actions, he said. Prosecutors alleged that the shooting occurred after Heddle had become bitter over the the homeowners association and police's refusal to act on his complaints about Prather, who served in the Maryland National Guard, and his wife, which included loud, loud music and drinking, the Washington Post reported. Heddle's attorney, George L. Freeman IV, said Heddle believed that Prather was armed when he showed up on his doorstep and shot him in self-defense. Wait for it. Miss, quote, Mr. Heddle did not commit a murder, his attorney said, Mr. Freeman. Uh, he was defending himself and his family. Freeman, Freeman could not be reached for comment when this article was written. The shooting of Prather was caught on a ring doorbell camera and showed Prather walking over to Heddle's doorstep before the door opens and gunfire erupts. Prather tumbles down the stairs and is shot again as he lay in the driveway, WTTG reported. Heddle can be seen pointing a gun at Prather's wife saying, quote, you want it too? She's later seen dragging Prather, AKA her boyfriend fiance away. During the trial, Heddle's son testified that Heddle used a racial epithet when he spoke about Prather, the news source reported, quote, Mr. Prather served in the Maryland National Guard and had a bright future ahead of him. This kind of said after the verdict, while this outcome will not return him to his loved one, uh, his loved ones, my heart and thoughts are with the Prathers, and I hope his conviction brings them some small amount of peace. Uh, Heddle is scheduled to be sentenced on January 28th. They should have, they should send the, the former NASA employee up into space and leave him there, I guess. Well, he'll be sentenced on January 28th. But yes, they should also do that. Yeah, they, should be, 
that's not a bad idea. You know, I create a prison in outer space, like on the moon. Yeah. You can't escape. You just can't. Yeah. But isn't that shitty? Like, how are you going to use, like, first of all, you shot him, then you shot him while he was already down, and then you threatened to shoot his wife. Did you happen to find any footage from the the, uh, door cam or? I'm sure it's there, but like I said, I had soccer work and and everything today, so I didn't get a chance to deep dive into looking for it, but I'm sure it's out there. Oh, that I'd like to see. If anybody wants to take a look-see and send it to us. Oh, and, they, and this is—it's it, a bad idea to start stealing people's Amazon packages because now so many people have those door. Everybody cables. has one. In fact, yeah. I need one. I mean, I have one. No one comes to my home. Well, you never know. It's Florida. I have lizards, snakes, and alligators in my front yard. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my next one. This is a lesbian story. Okay. Off-duty. Morgan's female. into lesbian stories. This week. Yeah, for tonight. Yep. Off-duty okay. female NYPD cop shoots ex-girlfriend and kills her new lover in home ambush. Oh. A, jil- a jilted off-duty police officer shot her ex-girlfriend and killed her new lover after ambushing them at her former partner's home. Yvonne Wu, 31, is accused of killing 24-year-old Jamie Lang and wounding Jenny Lee, 23. As the new couple returned to Lee's Brooklyn apartment on Wednesday night, Wu, a patrol cop of five years out of the 72nd precinct, just four miles away from the shooting, had an exemplary service record leading up to the domestic incident. After responding to multiple 911 calls reporting shots fired around 5 p.m., Assistant Chief Michael Kemper said officers arrived at the Bensonhurst apartment where they found a female waiting outside who told them she'd shot someone and that person was inside the house. Upon entry, they found two female victims shot, one lying on the living room floor, the other in the bedroom. Officers immediately began CPR and summoned EMS. Both victims were rushed to hospital. Lang was pronounced dead, but Lee is expected to survive. Lang had been shot in the chest possibly more than one time. Uh, Lee had been shot once in the torso. This horrific incident is being treated as a homicide case. The motive is believed to be domestic in nature. Kemper said he believed all three parties knew each other and that the suspect and the survivor had an intimate relationship. He could not say if Wu and Lang were ever romantically involved. He could not yet confirm if the suspect used her service weapon in the shootings, but added there's a very good chance it was. It's not clear how the suspect gained entrance to the home, but trespass is being investigated. According to the New York Post, one of the 911 calls came from inside the apartment. A woman can be heard yelling, I told you not to mess with me. Another female can be heard begging, no, please, no, please, before the four shots. Oh, God, I don't want to hear that call. After the incident, witnesses said the suspect looked peaceful and calm as she waited for police to arrive and was wearing her NYPD jacket. Uh, One neighbor said uh, she didn't say anything. She was so quiet, no emotions, nothing. She was handcuffed and they put her in the car. That was it. She didn't. What the jealousy? Yeah. She didn't fight back or nothing. Didn't say a word. Kemper agreed she was calm and collected and very forthcoming. Simply put, she confessed. That's all I'm going to say. 
Senior police sources told the Post Wu had been dating Lee for two years, but they had split up three weeks ago. Wu, who worked midnights, had last worked Tuesday and was due back in work Wednesday night. Sources say she had an excellent service record. She had received four medals and always had good evaluations. Wow. This is this is out of left field, this said. Wow. That's interesting. That's three, really interesting. And a three-way lesbian triangle, and they're all Asian, too. That's kind of unique, isn't it? It is unique. It, it is. That's, I mean, unique in many ways. Yeah. But what a oh. – I mean, just, oh. jealousy and sitting there with no emotion. Interesting. Hmm. Well, that's what you need to kill people, right? It's not enough to be angry. You have to be able to do it and sleep at night and exactly not feel remorse. So there you go. Well, there's something missing in those brains. We got to study those more. What you drinking, Morgan? Oh, diet and W root beer. (laughs) It's always (laughs) like it says at the beginning of Kill Bill: Revenge is a dish best served cold. Uh, That chick served up real cold, ice cold. Ice cold. All right, what's your next story? <laughs> My next story, sad, uh, child death. So uh, an Indiana father was charged with the murder of what they called a four-year-old angel of a son after months of alleged torture. Um, an Indian, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry. An Indiana man was arrested earlier this week in connection with the death of his four-year-old son. Alan Morgan, 28, stands accused of murder in the first degree after LaPorte County Sheriff's Office deputies discovered the body of Judah Morgan inside his rural rural home early Monday morning. Mary Yoder, the child's mother, was also arrested Wednesday morning. It is presently unclear if charges will be filed against her. Currently, Yoder is in a in the custody of a 48-hour hold, LaPorte County Jail records show. Responding officers found the boy along with three other children who were unharmed and immediately began looking for the elder, Morgan, as a person of interest. He was arrested just hours later. Judah Morgan was discovered sometime around 3 a.m. without any clothes on and wrapped in a blanket after Yoda, Yoder dialed 911, according to the local CBS what? No, Yoda is. Yo, it's Yoder. Sorry, I said it wrong. Yoder. Yeah. Uh, after that, the mom dialed 911, according to the CBS affiliate WSBT. The station notes that an autopsy showed the boy was covered in bruises and died from blunt force trauma to the head, which caused bleeding on his brain. Did it say how, how uh, the blunt force trauma was applied? I do like, not believe so. No, no weapon mentioned? Okay. <clears throat> no. Uh, court documents obtained by the news station allege a distinct pattern of abuse. The father is alleged to have regularly beaten and punished his son to the point of torture, locking him up in the family's dark basement naked for days at a time over toilet training issues and often duct taping the boy's mouth shut. I will remind you at this point in the story, he is fucking four years old. God. A probable cause affidavit was presented to the LaPorte County Sheriff Deputy Prosecuting Attorney Julianne Havens in the LaPorte County Circuit Court on Tuesday, resulting in the formal formal murder charge along with five neglect of a dependent charges and one count of cruelty to an animal, according to the local NBC affiliate. 
The report did not explain the basis of the animal cruelty count. Uh, quote, he had the curliest, like most cherub face, like always so happy running around, Judah Morgan's cousin Kyle Hullett said it at the station. Quote, we know we can't bring him back, obviously, at this point, but help other people who've been through something similar or are going through something similar and not allow this to continue to happen because it does happen every day. It's despicable. Uh, quote, he would sit there, he'd see somebody laughing, and he'd be like, oh, okay, this is funny, so he'd keep doing it, added Madison Hewlett, another cousin to Judah Morgan, and Kyle Hewlett's sister. Quote, Whatever I, whenever I would be sad, he'd just sit there and give me hugs and stuff. Jenna right. Hewlett is the mother of Kyle and Madison. She had seen, she had been the dead boy's legal guardian via kinship placement custody since he was four months old until April of this year when she was forced to return him to his fucking biological parents. Why? According, I do not know, according to the ABC affiliate. Quote, he was an angel, she told the station in remembrance. He was very, very bright. He was very, very happy, energetic. I was kind of already mourning and I kept hoping we would see him again and told my husband I was going to write him letters so that when he got older, he would know that we didn't give him up. We didn't just leave him and we did love him and we didn't want to give up on him. Jenna Hewlett says that Hoosier State Child Protective Services were well aware of the abuse and that she repeatedly contact contacted them about the situation, providing visual evidence. I'm so fucking pissed off over this case. Uh, quote, DCS was aware of it, she said. Quote, the CASA was aware of it. I gave the CASA and DCS messages, pictures of abuse with the older child. There are too many children that this is happening to that are going through the system. I think the system failed him along with many other children, and it needs to stop. The defendant is currently being detained in the LaPorte County Jail with no possibility of bond. These, sometimes I hear about these, about social workers let kids slip through the cracks like this. I don't get it. I don't know if it's a matter of some districts being overwhelmed and underfunded or what. If she has provided visual evidence, I mean, first of all, she's had custody of the fucking child since he was four months old. Okay. Obviously there yeah. was a problem. Why all of a sudden did you decide to give this child back to his biological parents? Then when you did that, she, the the aunt has now provided you several times with visual evidence and other evidence that he is being abused and nothing was done. That is on the, that is on. You know what? It happens a lot. Sadly, it happens a lot. Like there a was, lot on Dr. Phil once there was this case where these kids, uh, they were all black kids and they were adopted by a white Christian couple and they were kept in cages and, uh, not they were not they didn't they were not bathed they weren't taken care of probably they were abused and uh, a man who was shown the kids by the adoptive father uh, reported it to to children's uh, services and through for three years nothing was done it was only when one of their workers just happened to stumble upon the report that he submitted when they finally liberated the kids. Right. So I, it's, it happens a lot, unfortunately. Now, I mean, really I don't does. know. I don't know why. I mean, the the system is usually biased toward the mother, so I don't know if she 
had her own shortcomings as a parent. That's possible. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, to get the kid back with bruises on him and to take photos of it. And there were there was photographic evidence, you said. Yeah, there was. And I don't want to I, I don't want to. For anybody that works in in DCF or any kind of capacity out there that's listening, I'm not coming down on you personally because that work has to be absolutely horrendous. And you have to be inundated. I can imagine, okay? I really can. But how do we do better? I mean, and I'm sure they get paid shit. They're overworked. Their caseload is crazy. I know. I get. I mean, I just. How how is it fixed when somebody's uh, providing you physical evidence of a child of child abuse and nothing can be done about it because what we don't have enough people to look at the case? That's fucking sad. Yeah, that's. I don't that's, know where to fix it. I just don't. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. When I interviewed a social worker, I mean, she said. Uh, it's just it's hard to manage it all. There there are a lot of cases, and I don't think they have enough resources to deal with it all. But, but there are also difficult aspects like how a lot of kids that are brought in were you know taken out of the homes. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are reluctant to talk about what has happened to them, and uh, because I mean certainly they hated the abuse, but they were also afraid of of never seeing their their parents again and they're also mentally they're mentally damaged they don't know how to even probably communicate properly you know what i'm saying like yeah and then she don't know there was also this other thing she'd encounter where the parents come in and she's saying you know these things need to change before the children are taken back to your home and they're just like yeah 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 yeah, i'll do it whatever like yep they just so it's like no yeah i mean it's just checking off a box yeah, it's not trying to about being a better parent. They're just like, yeah, yeah, whatever you're forcing me to do this, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll feed yeah, them every day, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they won't, they won't eat soda crackers for for dinner, and I won't. I mean, punch I, would, them out. I would, I would eat soda crackers for dinner. Just say, well, I've done, but you're not supposed to do it for your kids. Yeah. <laughs> no. As, yeah, you as a mother, you can eat, eat a terrible, you know, nutritionally bankrupt diet, but you can't. Yeah, I will tell you, my things. children usually have like this fucking brilliantly cooked meal for dinner like i saute spinach they it's you know pan fried fish with uh, the accoutrement and then i'll eat like a damn hot pocket because i, oh, just, yeah, yeah. I eat later you know but they're fed well yes well, very, uh, if anybody by the way i would love to interview especially if there's a florida social worker who is a listener Contact Morgan if you're up for that, Morgan, because I would love to interview another well, social worker. It, it's difficult because uh, they can't talk about. You know. Yeah, they're not allowed to to give their real name. And in fact, the one I interviewed didn't even want her actual voice used. So I had mm-hmm. to go do the whole AI thing, which is a lot. Well, we of could work. use we could yeah. use that still. Or we, you can do an email interview, I guess. But yeah, it's mm-hmm. just not. A, they're not allowed to to talk with the media. Maybe a former. Yeah, maybe a former social worker. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's all those confidentiality issues. Even if they don't name past clients, it's just it's a very sensitive area. It is very sensitive. I mean, you don't have to use names. You can be discreet. I know it's just telling, uh, talking about cases or experiences. I think might I don't I don't know where the legality of that falls, but 
I'd be interested in it. Since so since you have two school age children, do you know what the hell a Paw Patrol backpack is? Have you seen yes. one of these? So what, well, what is they're a little older than Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol is a kids uh, a kids show. It's yeah. like they're dogs, little cartoon dogs that. Oh, is that are, for toddlers or something? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep. Well, that is this has, your last story, by the way, because I'm I'm this, planning out. This is no, that's my second. This is my second last story. Okay. Gotcha. This is another. This is another father of the year story. Dad charged with manslaughter after a toddler finds gun in Paw Patrol backpack and shoots mother dead on Zoom work call. Imagine that you're doing a Zoom meeting and one of the people gets shot by a child and falls out of the frame. That's got to be fucked up. Oh, I think I – wait. Did I do this story? What, you, in the past or yeah is it how when 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 did it ha- yeah like recently did the kid shoot the mom it's saying yeah the the kid shot her yeah oh you did it oh sure okay did. it it happened uh in orlando yep oh shit okay don't Are edit you- this out because i love it because morgan we we're just talking about how we we literally have the memory of a flea as soon as yeah. we jump to the next subject, we literally forget what we've talked about. I forget and also, episodes, yeah. Yeah, and I've ragged him about telling, sending me his stories on a regular basis. So I'm using this as an excuse for you to send me your story so yeah, I can make sure that. <laughs> yeah, it's like how with the Confession Pulse podcast, uh, Rosanna and I send each other the confessions we're doing. So, yeah, I got to get, get in that habit of you have to send my articles. Yeah. yeah. And our last Papo panel, I gave you shit about it, but that hasn't been posted yet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, my last story is Georgia police officer shot dead on first day of the job. So oh, that's God. Pretty damn, oh, pretty my God. Awful. That's horrible. A Georgia police officer has been shot dead on his first day of the job. Dylan Harrison, 26, was killed in an ambush on Saturday in retaliation for making one of his first ever arrests for Alamo PD, investigators say. On Friday afternoon, Officer Harrison observed a traffic violation in the parking lot of a Circle K convenience store right across the street from Alamo Police Department. After he attempted to perform a traffic stop, the driver refused to identify himself or hand over his ID and pushed Harrison. The driver continued to resist arrest until Harrison deployed his taser subduing and arresting him before taking him to jail. But just hours later, in the early hours of Saturday morning, Harrison was gunned down outside the police department. Investigators say the suspect, 43-year-old Damian Anthony Ferguson, is a known associate of the man Harrison arrested. It is believed that the ambush-style attack on Officer Harrison was retaliation for the incident and arrest of the man. After a large-scale manhunt involving a state SWAT SWAT team and the U.S. Marshals Service, Ferguson was tracked down in Wheeler County on Sunday afternoon and taken into custody without incident. He was charged with murder. He was also charged with aggravated stalking related to a previous domestic incident. Uh, Alamo Police Chief Karen Zanders said, I've never experienced a grief that I've felt since Officer Dylan Harrison's life was taken in our small, quiet town. His life was taken from him for simply doing his job. Harrison had previously served in law enforcement in Georgia and Oklahoma 
and had worked as a firefighter and paramedic. But Friday was his first day working for Alamo PD. He is survived by his wife and their six-month-old son. Oh, my God. Oh, that is heartbreaking. A GoFundMe for the young family has already raised more than $40,000. So go to the GoFundMe for uh, Dylan Harrison's family. Please do. Please do. Oh, my God. That's so heartbreaking. Well, he was every kind of first responder. It's amazing. He was somebody who just gave himself. And what a tragic. That's rare, yeah, to do all three. Yeah. And, And he wanted to serve. In capacity. Yeah. I hate it here. So what what is what is a U.S. marshal? What what how does that differ from like state police or city police? What do they what what makes them different? Because we don't. They have ju- I believe they have jurisdiction over any state. Oh really? So they could I drive think. Florida to like uh, I don't know what Alabama and yeah, they could yeah. in there. I believe so. Correct me if I'm oh. wrong. Any law enforcement out there? Mm, but I believe so. All right. Um, Next. My last story is actually, um, it's funny. We, me and you are always on the same wavelength, which is so, Mm -hmm. I wish I could describe to people how many times Morgan and I, he's freaked me out by either knowing what's in my head or we do the same shit or like, should should I tell should I tell the Papa John's story? <laughs> That's a fun story. Why not? <laughs> so we we have Papa John's pizza up here in Canada, but I've never had it before. And I knew that, you know, they've had it in the United States much longer. And I so I, I was curious. So I just sent Rachel a text uh, and I said, uh, I, nowhere. I said, have you ever had Papa John's pizza? And at that second, she was putting a slice of Papa John's pizza in her mouth. And she said, literally, she sent me a picture of the pizza box too. It was real. That was that was eerie. That was. I was like, "What are you? Are you literally in my house right now? Like, do you have a ring camera on me?" I was so freaked out. I was like, "But you've done that to me so many times, where okay. I'm just you're just like in my head. It's crazy. I love it." Oh, that alligator. That's not a real alligator. That's. <laughs> His eyes are cameras. He's watching you. Exactly. Yeah, you put alligator. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. Nah, you wouldn't do that. Gator. Me. No, I wouldn't. Gator no. cam. Gator cam. <laughs> but anyway, so this story is actually um, a, a rather new story, and I am going to give a shout out to a child uh, still missing. So um, very active case. Very very sad. Um, <clears throat> it's in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. It was a suspect in Wisconsin homicide case was found dead as the son of victim remains missing. So the suspect in a homicide and missing person case was found dead Sunday from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Fucking hate it when these pieces of crap take their own lives before we get justice. And the child the the child's disappeared? Correct. Mm. So according to the Milwaukee Police Department on Sunday at approximately 4 p.m., officers went to a residence on North 41st Street as part of a search for homicide suspect Jaheem Clark. The police department statement says that about 15 minutes after the officers arrived at the home, quote, at least two gunshots were fired that they believe came from inside. 
Milwaukee Police Department officers went to the home at around 5.01 p.m. and found the suspect with a, quote, apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. Clark was pronounced dead at the scene. Milwaukee police described Clark as a homicide suspect in the death of 25-year-old Mallory Munzenberger. According to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, she was reportedly found dead with obvious signs of trauma in Clark's mother's backyard at approximately 6 a.m. on October 14th. That same day, on October 14th, an Amber Alert went out for Munzenberger's son, Major Harris. According to the alert, Major is described as black, three feet tall, and 40 pounds, with black hair and brown eyes. He was last seen wearing a dark blue shirt with a pocket on the side, Nike basketball shorts, and was barefoot. He reportedly has delayed speech and a small abrasion on his right cheek. The alert said Major was thought to have been been with Clark, who was a person of interest in the homicide. The vehicle in the, uh, of interest is a 2008 black Chevy Equinox with the Wisconsin license plate A as an Apple, B as in boy, E as an Echo, 2804. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports the car was located Monday. According to the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, one police uh, report listed Major's last known location at the spot where Munzenberger was found dead. But another report wrote he was last seen October 9th traveling from La Crosse to Milwaukee. The Milwaukee Police Department described Major as a critical missing child. Um, I also pulled up his Amber Alert. You guys can search it. It's on um, missingkids.org. So the Equinox was located, but the child is still missing. Uh, If the child ran away like that, he must have witnessed the suicide. Well, he's only three. Oh, so and he was the son um, of the homicide victim. So the person who was that was found dead, and then the the person who killed themselves committed the homicide. Who I think was his mom. Oh, murder suicide. Oh, okay. Correct. So, um, if you have any information whatsoever, the Milwaukee Police Department phone number is four one four nine three five seven four zero five, or you can call nine one one. The child. His name is Major Harris. He is an adorable little boy and is still uh, missing in from Wisconsin. Major. That's kind of a cool name, isn't it? It's a great name, yeah. It's an interesting Just name. Boy. Now, you, you have one more story, right? Oh, yeah. la, la, la. I sure do. Uh, uh, I'm going to do, I'm gonna do um, an FBI press release, which is relevant to the last story I did. Oh, do so, it. Okay, so the FBI releases 2020 statistics for law enforcement officers assaulted in the line of duty. So the rates of this probably haven't changed that much. Uh, According to statistics reported to the FBI, 60,105 law enforcement officers were assaulted while performing their duties in 2020. These assaults were reported to the FBI by 9,895 law enforcement agencies. Based on these reports, there were 4,071 more officers assaulted in 2020 than the 56,034 assaults reported in 2019. Data regarding regarding these assaults were released today in the law enforcement officers killed and assaulted portion of the FBI's law enforcement data explorer. Is this just in the United States? Just the United States, yeah. So injuries and weapons. 
Of the 60,105 officers who were assaulted in 2020, 18,568 or 30.9% sustained injuries. 44,421 officers were assaulted with personal weapons, those being hands, fists, or feet. 25.8% of these officers were injured. 2,744 officers were assaulted with firearms. Mm. 6.1% of these officers were injured. 1,180 officers were assaulted with knives or other cutting instruments. 9.7% of these officers were injured. The remaining 11,760 officers were assaulted with other types of dangerous weapons. 16.8% of these officers were injured. And there's a list of uh, statistics relating to the circumstances. Of all officers who were assaulted in 2020, agencies reported officers were involved in these circumstances at the scenes of the assaults. Responding to disturbance calls such as family quarrels or bar fights, 29.6%. Attempting other arrests, 16.1%. Handling, transporting, or maintaining custody of prisoners, 12.6%. Investigating suspicious persons or circumstances, 8.8%. Traffic pursuits or stops, 8.4%. Civil disorder, such as mass disobedience or riots, 4.1%. Handling persons with mental illness, 3.9%. Burglaries in progress or pursuing burglary suspects, 1.3%. Ambush situations, 0.8%. Robberies in progress or pursuing robbery suspects, 0.8%. All other types of circumstances, 13.6%. So there we go. I'm willing to bet that the mental illness one is a lot higher. It's just not documented mental illness. Yeah, probably. Because, uh, and first of all, I think we've done a couple... um, You've done two stories tonight with our um, law enforcement or uh, first responders being killed or now this one and, you know, the line of duty. And bless you all, all of our people who give themselves, you know, including the DCF workers and, you know, the police officers and our first responders. And you put your life at risk every day. Oh, yeah. And also, so for the good ones out there, which we know are many. Thank you. And and also the ones who, who are married with children, their spouses and children. God. Yes. They worry about them every time they go to work, every time. I can't imagine. Every time they're thinking, I hope they come home in one piece. So that's yeah. it's hard on their yep. families as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, much love to you guys. Honestly. Yeah. Uh, so we're actually my last story is just how shitty other people, random normal people are. Oh, there's plenty so, of that. Oh, 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 oh. Let me tell you. Douche canoes. This is beyond a douche canoe. This is fucking. It's just beyond uh, even a douche canoe. I, I read this for some reason. I we haven't done true crime news because uh, we did our interview. By the way, if you haven't listened to our interview with the cult, go listen to that freaking interview because it was amazing and just mind blowing. But uh, so I, I have like a, a bunch of stories because we've missed like two weeks. So I have a surplus. 
So uh -huh. if you're ready, ahem. You ready for this? Yep. A woman. Sorry, I tried to pull up a, a, a canoe sound effect from YouTube, but it was a commercial. Oh, Sorry about that. Fucking YouTube is an those, those sales funnel guys. Uh, a woman <laughs> was raped on a train, police say. Passengers watched, watched? and didn't call 911. Where was this? Was this New York City? Uh, this was in, uh, la, 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 la. where was it? Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania? Mm -hmm. They saw a woman being raped and did nothing? I mean, it, when well, you... we're gonna we're going to read about it right now, because if you're it, as pissed off as I am. I mean, it wouldn't be acceptable in New York, but maybe they're so jaded that they wouldn't act. But I, I don't give a fuck where you are. I don't give a shit where you are. Well, yeah, that's true. You yeah. should never be that fucking jaded well okay. it wouldn't be tolerated here in our subways well you're canada and you're doing way better than us so yes uh writers watched as a woman was raped wednesday night on a train near philadelphia but they did not intervene or call police some authorities said may have even taken pictures and videos while it happened i don't even know if i can finish reading this <sighs> okay. So I suppose it's on TikTok now. Pro fucking probably. Officers reviewed surveillance footage from a Southeastern Pennsylvania Transportation Authority, which is SEPTA train, a SEPTA train, that shows a man board shortly after a woman and sit next to her, according to the Upper Darby Township Police Department Superintendent Timothy Bernhardt. That's a long description. <laughs> the man talked to her. The footage shows, then gradually got aggressive, eventually ripping her clothes off and assaulting her. Quote, he sat next to her for a conversation, Bernhardt said, and then just completely overpowered the woman and forcibly raped her. Authorities were alerted by a female SEPTA employee, said Andrew Bush, a SEPTA spokesman. An officer from SEPTA's police department intervened after the train on the Market Frankfurt line, after the train on the Market Frankfurt line stopped at 69th Street Transportation Center in Upper Darby. Between 80,000 and 90,000 people per day ride the Market Frankfurt line. The assault, he said, took about eight minutes. Eight minutes? Eight fucking minutes. And then workers did not help the woman quote if somebody who witnessed this had called 911 it's possible that we would have been able to intervene even sooner bush said quote because this had apparently started before the employee who was on board noticed what was going on the suspect fiston nagoy 35 has been charged with several crimes including rape and aggravated indecent assault according to court records He's being held at the Delaware County Jail on $180,000 bail. Once Nagoy was arrested, the woman, who has not been publicly identified, fucking thank you, was taken to a hospital for treatment. Quote, I spoke with the victim yesterday, and she is unbelievable. She's an unbelievably strong woman. Bernhardt, the upper Darby superintendent, said Saturday, quote, I can't say enough about her. How she has been able how she was able to identify her attacker, tell us what happened. Now she's working to get through this. 
For Bernhardt, the most appalling part of the event was lack of empathy displayed by the other individuals riding the train. Investigators are going over the surveillance footage and police received reports of riders recording video or taking pictures while the rape took place. Quote, I'm just speechless, he said. To be a victim of a crime like this and be victimized a second time is absolutely horrible. That's as bad as the, the rape itself. Absolutely. They should be charged. If they fact, can it's identify like, these people, they should 100% be charged with aiding and abetting. That's almost like secondary rape. Really. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Bernhardt said there are different uh, there are different steps witnesses can take to intervene. People can call 911, alert the train conductor or scream to distract an attacker or maybe just fucking say something. I don't know. Quote, I don't know where we are in society that people can't help other people out in a time of need. Well, I mean, if you see... oh. no, go ahead. Also, oh, were you reading from the article right now or? Yeah, this is a quote from oh, okay. uh, the officer. He said, I don't know where we are in society that people can't help other people in a time of need, he said. And what do I always say, Morgan? Mm-hmm. If you see something horrendous like this, horrible ad- incident, you have to do something. You have to intervene. Um, I think that it starts here when we have to definitely go back to some decency where we can help each other out and we look out for each other. Well, there are very few places in the world that have a good Samaritan law where if you see someone in trouble, you have to intervene. Like here in Canada, Quebec is the only province that has that. So I guess, I, I don't know, maybe there are none it in the It should be common decent. Yeah. If you see something, say something. If it's you a moral see something, option. say something. If you see something, say something. I say it or all the time. Guy, or grab the guy and throw him out the goddamn window. <laughs> something. <laughs> Anything you're gonna pull every single person who videoed that, and if they are on a surveillance footage, should be charged criminal negligence or something like that. Something I don't give a shit what it is, they need to be charged. And yes, I'm cursing tonight, pissed off. Wow, that girl must be really traumatized. That'd well, they really said she the officer said she was really strong and she was very cooperative. And I, poor woman, yeah, that's says something really Isn't that disgusting. Yeah, acting like it's a circus. Can you imagine watching somebody get raped for eight minutes on a train and not fucking doing anything? Like, where are we as a society that that's happening? Yeah, you look up and see like six cell phones pointing at you. and (laughs) That's just as traumatizing. Uh You know, that's. That kind of thing's been happening for a while now, though. I mean, not necessarily in term, when it comes to rape, but, like, people will get into fights or someone gets attacked. And, and no one says anything. Just, they just yeah. pull out their phone. Yep. Yeah, like, I saw footage from, a like, a, a school. I think it might have been a middle school. And this kid was being pushed around by these bullies and another kid oh. was filming it. And n- nobody, was, nobody was doing anything about it. And so these nope. – sometimes these phones are – are dangerous you know my children know damn well if they see a kid getting bullied and they already have they've stuck up for people who have been bullied so that's awesome yeah, it's really that's cool. a no-go in my in my household if you see somebody being bullied uh you definitely intervene and step in um not necessarily with physical action but telling somebody or stopping it and have they, been, they have, have they have done that have they been in any fights <laughs> <laughs> my uh yeah 
Well, my older son uh, was defending somebody who was being bullied, and he did get called to the principal's office, but he told me the story. He was very honest. Um, one of his friends was being bullied, and he, he intervened. Oh, okay. Well, that's so pretty- I, I couldn't get too mad. I mean, I told him, like, I obviously prefer you go tell somebody. You don't, you know, react with violence. Uh, it wasn't horribly bad, but, you know, he, he was defending somebody who was, you know, being bullied. So, what should uh, do? Yeah, <laughs> good. Those are good values to have. But he shouldn't, yeah, yeah. He shouldn't, like, instantly. Shouldn't he? Well, he learned a lesson. It was, a, you know, you can't, you know, push and react with, I get, I get that you're angry and that you're trying to stick up for your friend, but the, the first step is to, you know, let an adult know and let them okay. intervene. Did so he learned, he learned a good lesson. The school punish him? Um, they made him, uh, he had to volunteer, uh, volunteer to like clean out some closet or something. The, the school was really amazing because my son's an awesome kid. Like he's never, they, when he had gotten in trouble, the, the vice principal was like, oh my God, like, what are you doing here? Like, he's just not that type of a child. So it was very, oh. she called personally to talk to me and I was like I I thought he she was gonna say that my son was hurt and then when she told me what happened I'm like wait what wait what so, so if you do something to get on that kid's bad side you must have really screwed up I guess yeah yeah he's not he's not he's just a sweet uh loving person so he told me like I said he told me the story and it was it wasn't unjustified but again not the right way to handle it but he learned yeah it's kind of hard to picture because I saw that picture where the younger ones like, like a sleeping on his shoulders, got his head on oh, his yeah. shoulder and everything. And oh, if anybody touched his brother, all bets are off. All yeah. bets are off. I'll tell you that right now. If anybody picked on his brother, I'll tell you all bets are off. That I can understand that because that's family. It, well, you probably wouldn't object to that either. I don't. Know. I would. I. I. I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd. I'd act the same way. Yeah, yeah, of Mama course. Mama Bear comes out. Don't mess with my kids. That's right. Well, well what a fun well, night. thank you. Shit. Yeah, thanks for another great episode. Of course, my friend. Uh, missed you. Well, I've talked to you, but still miss you. Well, the the cult episode was really good. Oh, that, my God. Guys, if you haven't heard that yet, check it out. I mean, it, it's like... There's there's five of us in total, but it's really really good episode. Uh, these people who were grew up in this religious cult, and it was just very mind blowing. Every kind of abuse was involved, and there was thought control involved, and it was you know it was traumatizing for all three of them. But they opened up about it. They were very strong, and I, I very strong. I, I, I was so inspired by these people. It was one of my favorite episodes Morgan and I have ever done. I was a lot more serious, obviously, just because of the nature of the interview. But these people are so inspiring. And it is yeah. such an incredible story. Everyone go listen to it. It's it, it's amazing. It was just truly crazy and mind-blowing and inspirational of how you can bounce. You can move on from trauma and something as horrible as what they went through. So check it out. That's right. All right. All right, my dear. We'll have your next time. Yes. Until next time. (laughs) Thank you, Morgan. Thank you, Rachel.
Have a great night. You too. Bye. Bye.